If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Pirate's Desire by Andrea Stewart. Chapter 8. She paced the cabin like an animal, desperate to escape. Turning toward the crewman near the door, Corwin wondered again if she could kill him. Feet numb, salt-encrusted nightdress plastered to every curve of her body, she was frozen to the bone. She shivered as she crossed the room once more. How many times in the last hours had she traveled the distance between the only two weapons she could see? the beveled glass of the bookcase and the locked gun cabinet with its brace of long rifles. She stole a look at the lock that made withdrawing a gun impossible. If only she might be left alone for a moment, just an instant. She could pick the lock, or break it, then she could load a gun and kill Black when he came for her. Then she could escape. She would take one of the boats she had seen on deck and get it into the water. But then? What kind of chance would she have on the open sea? Turning, Corwin tried to judge the time by the darkness outside the cabin windows. If this ship was like most, the captain's cabin was located aft. She wondered what direction they faced now. Was it west? East? Did it matter? It looked like midnight outside the window. All light had ebbed from the sky. The captain's bed was built into the wall of cabinets surrounding the window. It caught her attention and panic rolled over her in a long wave. She pressed a hand to her aching head felt the slick warmth from the wound that continued to bleed there. She had to calm herself. She had to be sensible and come up with a plan. She couldn't let her thoughts keep spinning her round and round. Had the Earl of Kettering rescued her? Had he captured her? Where were the men of the Albatross and what had happened to them? Had Black fired upon their ship while she slept? Could he really have gone to such terrible lengths to find her? He must be stark raving mad. She looked around the room again. There had to be something she could use to defend herself. She saw a polished table bolted to the floor with six chairs surrounding it, the bookshelf, the gun case, the wall of cabinets built around the bed, and the diamond-shaped windows next to it that looked out on the sea. Black's minion sat at the table in the chair closest to the door. He had tilted it back against the wall and, though his eyes were closed, she knew he was aware of her every move. When she lingered too long in one place she found him watching her. Gray hair, a thin muscular build, short of stature but wiry and strong. It gave Corwin a moment's satisfaction to see the four long red streaks that ran the length of her jailer's face. She had not exactly lost their last engagement, and by God she certainly would not lose the next. Corwin's eyes skipped to the door just behind him. Was it locked? It didn't seem to be. With the guard dead she could break open the gun case, load guns and kill Black when he entered. The plan went round again. Then what would she do next? She would get out, take a dinghy, and throw herself upon the mercy of the storm. But the last thing on earth she wanted was to be back in the sea, 
She had only just fought her way free. She had been rescued, hadn't she? The Earl had rescued her, hadn't he? She had been so grateful not to die, dragged to the bottom by wood and sail. She buried her face in her hands. She had to think. She had to make sense of it all while she had time. Both Corwin and the crewman were startled when the broad width of the door abruptly swung open and Devon Black entered the room. The crewman settled his chair to the floor with a thump. Without looking at either of them he left the room, closing the door behind him. Black shot a bolt into place to lock the door as soon as he was gone. Without looking at Corwin he unstrapped a saber from his waist, then pulled it from its sodden leather sheath to dry upon the table. A moment later the slender knife he had strapped to one thigh joined its brother. Two weapons right there for the taking, Corwin thought. What more did she need? She glanced up to find Black watching her. She put her hands behind her back like a wayward child and tried to control her shaking. She had to be strong. She had seen him kill a man but he had also saved her life. Was he going to kill her? Had he gone to such terrible lengths simply to abduct her? Surely he hadn't sunk the ship she was on because he hated her. If that had been the case he would simply have watched her die when he had the chance. She found herself staring at his body. It was covered with bloody welts and deep scratches. A long wide white scar ran from hip to hip across his honey-brown belly where someone had almost gutted him. A healing white circle high on his chest marked where a bullet had almost found its mark. Norfolk's bullet. The Earl had almost died in their last encounter. He had almost died because Norfolk had been willing to kill to have her. This was insanity. She had last seen him thousands of miles away, a lord in London, now he was somehow king of the sea. You have a wound on your head. He said. It's past time I looked at it. He moved toward her as he spoke. Corwin leapt back, overturned a chair, and put the length of the table between them. Then she snatched at the rapier and found the hilt in her hand almost without knowing what it was. He had stepped over the chair and was coming toward her with a hand extended when she got it the right way round. She brought the blade across his path and felt it bite him with a sense of horror. She stumbled back, watching the blood well from his shoulder to his hip in a long red ribbon. Then she was in the corner between the bookcase and the bolted door, sword held out before her. He stared at the ground and shook his head as blood ran down his chest. Then, with a sigh, he sat on the edge of the table, put one bare foot on the seat of a chair, and reached for the second blade. He wiped it on his breeches, inspected the edge for nicks, then looked up at her. For what seemed like a year he watched and waited as Corwin struggled to hold the blade at the ready. Its tip fell and she jerked it up again once, twice, a third time. They both knew who would be the victor in this contest. It was only a matter of time. She was so cold, Corwin found herself thinking, and her wet clothes made it impossible to get warm. She was shaking so hard the blade wavered, and her heart was pounding so hard she could hardly breathe. Her head hurt so much she wanted to weep, and when she looked down at her gown she saw it was painted with long red streaks of blood. She could feel blood sliding down her cheek into the collar of her gown. Maybe death would be better than this. Perhaps she should reconsider the benefits of a watery grave. If she made it on deck she could hurl herself over the side. I am wondering what you think will happen if you manage to kill me. He said. He seemed calm, reasonable, maybe a little amused. It sparked a memory. He had asked her to dance. That was when he had been where he didn't belong. They had both been where they should never have been. There was no reason at all for them to have ever met. No reason they should know one another. What strange twist of fate had put them head to head in this little cabin? 
There are thirty-nine men on this ship. He offered. You can't kill them all. I never meant to hurt you, said Corwin. I never intended to involve you in what happened to me. Please just let me go. Let you go where, my lady? He shifted his weight, moved the blade into his right hand. Shall I return you to your ship? Between one word and the next, the knife was buried in the wood of the door behind her, handle quivering, and the sword that she had been holding had dropped to the floor as her hands had flown to her face. Devon moved to scoop up the sword. He returned it to the table. Then, entirely at ease, he walked toward her. She shrank back, cowered, but he took her firmly by the arm and made her stand up straight. With gentle fingers he turned her head to look away from him. Careful fingers explored the blood on her face and followed it up to the injury on her head. He pressed it once, twice, a third time, as if looking for softness. Then he carefully parted the sodden mass of her black hair to explore the jagged edges of the wound with his eyes. His touch was so gentle she found herself closing her eyes, leaning her head against the wall to give him a better view. The warmth that emanated from his body washed over her skin. She raised the hand closest to him, placed it upon his shoulder, felt the heat course through her flesh. He had saved her because he hadn't wanted her dead. She was alive only because he saved her. Did anything else matter? Devon felt time stop. A thousand battles fought and won, a thousand prizes seized, a life of strife and loss had somehow all culminated in an instant. This black-haired witch had cost him everything, but in this moment he would happily have sacrificed everything to have her. Even as these thoughts poured into his head he knew they could not be true. He had looked for her on the ship but he hadn't found her. He hadn't had time to check every cabin. He had assumed she was on one of the boats he had seen launched. How had anyone been cruel enough and stupid enough to leave her below? She should have died. She would have died. But she had seen him, had fought to reach him. And now she belonged to him. It was as simple as that. She was his pearl of great price. He took a half step back, studied the bloody rag of her nightdress, and wanted it off. He took the hand on his chest, turned it over, and pulled the fabric apart. Tiny pearls fell like tears to the floor. He freed her second hand the same way. She turned to him fully, eyes closed, and he moved forward to kiss her. His hands undid the buttons down her back gently, one by one, navigating the long rivers of hair that tried to hide them. When he peeled the filthy garment off, he took a step back. She was watching him as he took in the perfect ivory mounds tipped with coral that defined her breasts, the swelling hips and flat stomach, the dark triangle at the juncture of her long ivory thighs and the slender legs that swept down to her delicate feet. She bore the wounds of the day's battle like a Roman skirmisher. Scrapes and bruises painted her skin from head to toe. She looked beaten but he knew she was brave. A lion's heart pounded in that fragile chest. His fingertips traced her shoulders, followed the curve of her arms to her hands, slipped onto her hips, then drew her to him. His hands explored her back and then slipped lower still. What did he feel? He had no words for this thing that made him want the world to stop so this moment would never end. He swept her up and carried her to the bed. Corwin looked out the window at the ink-black night as Lord Black undid the drawstring to his breeches. She heard the rain that had begun to pound on the deck and windows with new force, could feel the wind filling the sails, and the motion of his ship as it raced wherever he had ordered that it go. She had been ready to kill him an hour ago. A week ago she had wanted him dead. Two months ago she had been unable to stop thinking about him and would have forgiven him any sin. 
As he turned out the lamps she moved to make room for him in the bed. The very little light that came through the window traced the edge of his face in silver. Broad forehead, full lips, sculpted features, square jaw. He seemed etched into her soul, as if she had been born knowing he would come. He came to lie beside her, his head propped on one hand while the other traced spirals across her belly, circled lower, then moved to discover the inside of one thigh. She was asleep, dead to the world with her head on his arm. A man such as he was, a man on a mission to right wrongs like the murder of his parents and the theft of his title, did not traffic in virgins. A man of the kind he had chosen to be, a pirate who stole what he wanted and killed when he had to, didn't consort with the innocent. A man, born of a boy forced to serve on a slave ship, watching men beaten, women raped, and children sold, might not be able to live with himself after what he had done to this girl. He had taken her thinking Norfolk had enjoyed her first. He had thought her a seductress, a victim, a beauty. But now he knew she was nothing more nor less than the young lady she seemed. She was exactly what he had thought her the very first moment they had met. She did not belong in his world. He doubted she could survive it. But now her die was cast. He had abducted her, bedded her, ruined her. And he would not, could not, ever let her go. She had come to him in such purity and grace it burned him to the very depths of his scarred and blackened soul. Pirate's Desire by Andrea Stewart, voice recording copyright 2019 by Nancy Fulton, music by Alexander Shavarev licensed from Pond 5.